loving Father in heaven, Lord, ultimately, this is about your will, not ours. And so I ask that I would be hidden and that you would be present. I ask that I would be silent and you would speak and that I would be hidden behind your cross and only Jesus Christ would be seen. For in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the way we're going to arrange this, yeah, I'm great, thank you, is that we're going to talk about three things. Your job, your life work, right? Your career. We'll talk about your spouse. Who are you going to choose? How are you going to know? And then we're going to talk about your ministry, how you're going to actually win others to Christ. Because, you know, that's why we're here, to get a training, right? I appreciated Sebastian um, sharing what he did and saying, you know, we can be educated but not actually do any good in this world. What I'd like to share with you first is a real thing that happened to me on the way here that I think perfectly illustrates God's will and how he works day by day. I was on the airplane coming here to SEYC. And on the flight, I met an elderly lady sitting next to me. She was there, and we were kind of talking back and forth. Her name was Virginia. She was about 85. And she was all, all of uh, the most friendly person I've ever seen. And she asked, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'll be speaking. On what? And she, at 85, was very interested in this topic. Now, she was visiting one of her relatives. She gave me her email. She gave me her phone number. And I have sent her an email, gave her directions to Southern, and I hope that she will come and visit, come to church, maybe even come to one of the seminars this afternoon. And as I was talking to her, another guy across the row in the other aisle of the airplane overhears that I'm a physician, and he starts asking me about the health care crisis. And so I start sharing with him as well. And he wants to know, well, what are you doing? And he gives me his email. Yes, there's room. There's a room in the back. Um, or we can always move desks in. I think there's one chair right there, actually. Yeah, there's one over there, too. You got it, too, just for you guys. Come on in. Perfect. We can always move more chairs in. There's a bench out there, too. <laughs> we can move that in. So this guy giving me his contact information to follow up, I've sent both of them emails with invitations. I believe, not chance, God's will. Is it God's will that we invite people to him? Absolutely. Come on in. There's room. You sit right back there on the windowsill. Then something even crazier happened. I came here to campus. I came a little early. I wanted to be able to settle in, use your gym a little bit, work out. And on one of my trips, there's a seat right back there, right next to those two guys, right on the windowsill. Is I lost my comb. And for those of you who know me, when I get up in the morning, my hair is so poofy, it could power a small city in the morning. <laughs> I need a comb, not a brush. I need to dunk my head and then try to comb things down one by one. So I lost my comb. So where do I go to pick up a comb? The market, right? You guys have a market on the strip mall. And I'm thinking, why did I lose my comb? I never lose stuff when I go places. So I go and I search and I search. There's no comb in your market. Do you guys know that? 
Now, why in the world would there be no comb? There's brushes, there's dental floss, there's toothpaste, there's all this stuff. No comb. And then I start to realize why this has happened. Because I make my way now to the hair salon. They got to have a comb, right? Probably going to spend five bucks on some comb, though. And the lady walks right up to me. I tell her, she's like, here, have one. I'm like, wow, that's so nice. I said, well, I might as well get a haircut from you now. <laughs> I, I got to give her some money. Before the trip is done, I have a comb, I have a haircut, and I have two stylists asking about God's will for their lives. Not Adventists. They don't go here. They even told me up front, well, we're not Seventh-day Adventists. You can always tell when they're not, someone's not Adventist because they'll say Adventist. Not Adventist. They'll put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> so not Adventist, but sharing. They're like, we have to work tomorrow, but tell us. And so I start to open the principles of God's word with these two stylists as they're cutting my hair. So do you think it was coincidence that I lost my comb? Was it coincidence that your market didn't have a comb? Was it coincidence that Tiffany and Tammy were working at that time? God will unfold his will to you every day. Are you willing to look at the events of daily life as God directed or just chance? Keep that in mind as we discover God's will for your job. So to set a foundation principle, I'm going to give you a scripture that Jesus said to the Sadducees. Now, remember to the Pharisees, he, he accused them of what? What was their problem? Hypocrisy. Exactly. Hypocrisy means saying one thing and doing another, right? But the Sadducees, he did not accuse of that. The Sadducees said, you are in error. Why? Because you don't know the scriptures. We make mistakes because we don't know what God's word says. I'm going to give you some very, very vivid examples in just a minute. Those red books on our shelves, they might as well just be a painting there. We don't pick them up. We don't know the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, and therefore, we make mistakes because God's power, right, is not in our lives. Because if you don't do things God's way, you cannot have God's power. God is not an arbitrary God. His laws are of natural consequence, like the law of gravity. If you obey the Ten Commandments, you will have health. You will be blessed. You will have more than anything else. You'll have something inside that won't be shaken when trials come. It's like the law of gravity. But that's the first problem. We don't know. Now watch this. Here is a second concept. This is directly from the book of Education, 267, third paragraph. We need to follow more closely God's plan of life. Here's the three steps. To do our best in what? The work that lies nearest. To commit our ways to who? To our parents. To our boyfriend, our girlfriend. To what I want, to our occupation. No. Our ways need to be brought into harmony with God's ways. Commit our ways to God. And then what? Watch for the indications of his providence. These rules ensure safe guidance in the choice of what? An occupation. There's three steps right for, it, right for you. 
how to know God's will for your life in choosing a job. Now, which one of those do you think we have the problem with? Yes, surrender. Surrender of the heart. Probably the greatest battle that was ever fought, right? The, the battle against self. I think many of us here, right, we are committed. We want to do what's right. Otherwise, we wouldn't come to a Christian college, right? But many times, we have our eyes set where? In the future, right? When I'm going to have money, when I'm going to have a wife or husband, things like that. And we neglect being nice to our brother and our sister. We neglect doing the dishes. We neglect taking the trash out. We neglect mowing the lawn. We neglect being on time for class. The little things. God is going to prepare you for the big things through the everyday task. What will determine if you are victorious or vanquished in the battle of life is your decisions in the little things. In the decisions and the work that lies right at your doorstep. Right? Not five years from now when you're in your careers, not 10 years from now. I can tell you, my great friend Franklin is right here, and a lot of the results of what we're doing now were the decision we made 10 years ago, that we were going to follow God's ways and not the ways of man, that we were going to be reflectors not of God's thoughts, not mere reflectors of men's thoughts, that we would not let men empty their minds into ours but allow our God-given individuality to shine forth in his thoughts. You guys can come in in the back. There's room in the back. Whoa, praise the Lord. There's like an entire classroom out there. You guys can sit in the back or we can get some chairs. The guy that was I like this here, one. <laughs> yeah. He was telling me that they kept me in the back. Like some fire code. Well, I'll come over um, here so you guys can hear as well, all right? Floor space. There's floor space. Can they sit on the floor? Yeah, Is that okay? Okay. All right. Well, I, you can do it whatever you want to. I don't make the decisions. I just was invited to speak here. Yeah, come on over. So the first thing is, is it God's will that any of us commit sin? Obviously not, right? That's an easy one. But you know, it's not as easy as you might think. Let's think of some obvious jobs that we could not do as Christians, Seventh-day Adventists. Anyone think of some obvious ones? What do you guys think? What could you not do? Right, okay, so you couldn't be an assassin, all right? Thou shalt not kill, all right? Pretty easy. Any other jobs you couldn't take? Commercial banker. Oh, <laughs> oh commercial banker. Thou shalt, oh, that's good. Great. Any others? Oh, 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 oh. What do we have here? Woe unto him that gives his neighbor what? Strength. Oh, no. Oh, no. What's your name? That's right. It's true. How would you want to sell something that's going to destroy people? Right? And that would go for drugs pornography, alcohol, cigarettes, right? Would you want to break that commandment of thou shalt not kill slowly by giving someone those things or selling them? Now, here's one that's not so subtle. And I only bring this up just to open your eyes 
to the stuff in the spirit of prophecy. We have John, he's a 25-year-old medical student. What should he choose for residency? Or the better question, what should he not choose for residency? <laughs> Any thoughts? Uh-oh, oh no, am I stepping on some toes? Oh no. The light given me from the Lord regarding this matter is that as far as possible, lady physicians should care for Lady patients and gentlemen physicians should have the care of gentlemen patients. Every physician should respect the delicacy of patients and any what? Unnecessary exposure of ladies for male physicians is wrong. Its influence is detrimental. Now I'm not saying, right, when I go to Zambia this summer, I'm going on a mission trip. When Franklin goes to Chad, we're the only show there. We can't just say, well, we're not going to see women. We can't say that. But it says unnecessary, right? Exactly. If I place myself in a position where I am the primary doctor for women, right, doing their checkups, right, do you think this would be a problem? How many of this is new for you? This is a new concept. And I'm only bringing it up is that there are statements in the Bible and prophecy that we don't know, that we haven't thought about. And I'm not telling you what to do or not do because even the Lord himself will not force you to obey. But at least don't fall into the trap of the Sadducees where you make mistakes because you just don't know what God says. It, we're totally ignorant of his great plan for us. So here's a simple question. Yes, go ahead. Well, I just had a question. So you can't be like a doctor that delivers babies? Well, I mean, here's the point. If you had to deliver babies in an emergency, right? But if you did that day in and day out, how could you reconcile that quote? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just reading the quote. I'm sorry? Oh, you know you what? You can get the references from me later for the rest of them. But that one was Council on Health 363. I can, give you all, I can give you the whole thing if you want. I can just pop it on a thumb drive for you. So what do you want to do? Does that matter to God? Absolutely. Solomon there is saying, God, I want to serve you. Here's the temple. Here's everything. God comes to the night in the dream. What does God say? What do you want? What do you want to do? The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in the dream. And God said, ask whatever you want me to give you. 1 Kings 3, 5. Psalm 37, 4, right? It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you what? Wow, is that important to God? Is what we want important to God? But notice, before God asked that question, where was Solomon's heart? He wanted to serve God. What happened before God can give you the desires of your heart? You delight yourself in Him. Because if we don't, we're going to ask for something that is bad for us. Right? So there's nothing wrong with wanting to do something. But I have a lot of people telling me, but... I don't know. I'm not really sure. How do I know if it's a good desire or a bad desire? Well, I'll give you a kind of example. This kind of enters into relationships. When I give a relationship seminar, which by the way is like six hours, we're only going to do like an hour of it this time, I pass out cards. People write down what they're looking for in a mate. And then I collect them. Obviously, they don't write down their names. And you know, <laughs> people write these, these amazing things. They're like, oh, I want this guy to have blonde hair and green eyes and 
be over six feet tall. What they've just said in those three con in those three requirements that they want, they have created like a one in ten or twenty thousand guy sort of situation. I mean, just the height itself. Less than seven percent of us are over six feet tall. Okay. So when you say there's no guys, no, there's no guys that meet your criteria. That's way too narrow. <laughs> Same thing with us guys. We want this, that, we want this color, they want this shape, we want this size, everything. How about the heart? Why not leave your strict criteria where it counts, and that's character? I'm going to tell you about the 666 Club. They did an informal poll, actually, on one Adventist campus of the ladies. So I started out with, with uh, talking about the guys being very superficial and wanting just a certain look. But women are superficial, too, just in different areas. And the 666 Club goes like this. The women wanted three things. They wanted a guy with greater than six-figure income, greater than six years of education after high school, and greater than six feet tall. Oh, no, it's the mark of the beast. <laughs> and you know, I can explain why women would gravitate toward that and explain it even biblically. We don't have time here. But again, my point is, don't let your desires go over and beyond principle to the point where you just narrow it down to just a few options. Right? Be willing to accept something that perhaps you weren't thinking of. You know, many people in the Bible were very surprised when God revealed his will to them. But you may say, I don't know what I want to do. Well, do you have anything you're good at? Do you have any skills, right? Any skills? Exodus 31, 2 through 5. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. Now God called him... In what way? I have filled him with the Spirit of God, but not just spiritually. Watch what happens. In wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, in what? All manner of workmanship. To devise cunning works, to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and in cutting of stones, to set them, in carving of timber, and in all manner of workmanship. So how was God's call to Bezalel determined? By his skill set, right? He was the best craftsman in the millions of Israel, right? Exodus 4.14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can what? Speak well. And also behold, he comes forth to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So there are things that you and I naturally do well. Hi, Susan. Naturally, we gravitate toward certain things. And for me, you know, I tend to be a more social person. Right? So things that are effective and easy for me is talking to someone who I don't know. You know, I am the type of person who's a good initial contact to witness to someone. I will be the one who will meet them, greet them, bring them maybe to the first meeting type thing. Right? But ask me to do the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I'm all thumbs. I could never do that. I think I, my attention span is so short, I couldn't just keep to that for long enough. That's why I do emergency medicine. I'm always doing something different. But I don't have any skills. You might say that, right? I can't do anything well. Watch this. If you can't do anything well, try things out. Right? 
Watch this, an amazing quote from Education 268. In this work, now she's talking about ministering to others, figuring out your ministry. So that kind of goes with the third lecture a little bit. In this work, as in every other, right, skill is gained in what? The work itself. It is by training in the common duties of life and in ministry to the needy and suffering that efficiency is assured. Without this, the best meant efforts are often what? Useless and? Can you imagine? She's saying that all these things that are theory, right? They have us take all these tests, these aptitudes, whatever. But if you neglect the practical, she says that it could be useless or even harmful. It is in the water, not on the land, that men learn to swim. I love it. Phenomenal, profound. Now watch this. No matter what your job is, remember that our job as Christians is foremost. Whatever one's what? Calling. Calling in life, his first interest should be to win souls for Christ. He may not be able to speak to congregations, right? But you can work for individuals. To them, he can communicate the instruction received from his Lord. Ministry does not consist alone in... Preaching, there's lots of things. Those minister who relieve the sick and suffering, helping the needy, speaking words of comfort to the desponding. You know, you can have a ministry on email or Facebook, cheering people up, right? And those of little faith. Nigh and afar off, our souls weighed down by a sense of guilt. It is not hardship, toil, or poverty that degrades humanity. Listen to this. It is what? What degrades us? guilt. It is wrongdoing. This brings unrest and dissatisfaction. Christ would have his servants minister to sin-sick souls. That's the desire of ages 8.22. How about getting advice, right? People are always telling you to do that. Watch this. Here's the two verses about counselors in Proverbs. Proverbs 11.14 and Proverbs 24.6 both say that in a multitude of counselors there is safety, actually. Because it's not always wisdom. I'll show you why. Why do you think it says a multitude? Have you ever thought about that? Because you've got to ask a lot of people before you get any good information. Exactly. Because one person is fairly high probability to be wrong. But if you ask a multitude, right, as Franklin said, through all of that, you're probably bound to get some good information somewhere. Right? Watch this. When advice can hurt you, ooh, it never hurts to ask for advice, right? I'm going to tell you that I was given a piece of advice that did more damage to me in selecting my career than any other. Should I be a doctor, right? That's my career. Who do you think the first people I asked were? I'm a teenager. Of course. Of course. But I want you to know, I had a parent sit me down with their spouse and for the next hour and a half tell me why I could never make it. That I wasn't smart enough. That I didn't have a good memory. That I didn't have enough discipline. And what is a teenager going to think? When their own parent Tells them they can't. They're going to believe it. 
as a teenager. That's what they said. And I'm going to tell you how I was able to overcome that. Where did I go wrong? When you ask advice, you have to ask the right people, right? Now, this is just specifically dealing with medicine, but I found a direct quote, Medical Ministry 83. I have been instructed that in view of the trying nature of medical missionary work, those who desire to take up this line should first be thoroughly examined by who? Physicians to ascertain whether or not they have the strength, mental, moral, physical, necessary to endure the course of study through which they must pass in the training school. Neither one of my family members were physicians. None of my even immediate or extended family were physicians. Why was I asking them? <laughs> because they led me the wrong way. And they did more damage than even a friend or a stranger could have done because they're my blood. Right? Yes. I'll show you. Okay. I'll show you how you go from there. So the question was, I have to do this for the recording, is what do you tell someone who already knows what they should do, but they're just afraid to move forward? We'll get to that. Another concept is you look to the future. Don't just look at what you want to do now. Think about what you're going to be doing 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Right? The Bible makes it very clear. Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent man, what? foresees the evil, and he hides himself, or prepares, right? But the simple pass on are punished. Luke 16.8, this is one of uh, my brother Franklin's good concepts. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than children of light. And what did the steward do? Do you remember the story? The Lord said, look, you're going to lose the stewardship, right? So what did he do really quick? He made provision, right? In the future, he cut these people deals so that when he was fired, he would go where? To work for them. That's right. He made provision. Do we do the same? Look into the future, not just for your job, but watch this. Okay, well, I'll give you kind of a, a, a practical application. What would I have my kids do? Don't have kids, though. I'm single. Minded. Did you guys catch that in one of the introductions? <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, if I ever heard one. But no, I am single and single-minded uh, to the Lord. But they introduced Sebastian in kind of almost a, a funny way one time I was listening. But if I had kids, which I don't, what would I tell them to do? Now, this occupation, you may say, well, of course, you're biased. That's why you want your kids to do that. So what would you think? It's a work that goes to the end of probation. Look at the economy. Where's the only job security? They could get whatever they want after graduating. It's not medicine, by the way. Ellen White encourages a short practical education for your job. Yeah, Medical missionary work and the call portal work go to the end of probation. Did you know that? Now, my particular bias would be to them to be in the medical missionary line, so I would probably choose nursing for them. They have training that can be done in two years, three years. Right? And I'll give you a story. A friend of mine, she graduated from nursing school. 
And I told her, I said, what do you want for your dream job? She's like, I'm not going to get my dream job because I'm a new grad. I got to kind of take what they give me, right? I was talking to some nurses here. You guys make, I think, about 19 bucks an hour or something like that. Is that close or roughly? But I told her, I said, here, look, here's a list of 25 hospitals in a 50-mile radius where you want to work. Interview with all of them. Apply to all of them. And she began to apply, and she's like, well, what, what do I ask? I said, well, what do you want? She said, oh, what do I want? Here's what I want. I want them to pay off all my loans. That's 20 grand. I want them to not schedule me ever on Sabbath, no Friday night. In fact, no nights at all. I want to do no nights starting out. And also, I want 30 bucks an hour as well, starting. I said, go ahead and ask him. She's like, are you crazy? I said, ask him, watch. So she went interview after interview. Finally, we came to one hospital. I talked to the nursing recruiter. I said, so how are you doing? He's like, I need 69 full-time nurses in five months. I said, you got them. And they gave her every Sabbath off, every Friday night off, no nights, all days. They gave her 18000 toward her loans and 25 bucks an hour. It wasn't 30 but it was 25 It was like union. You're going to find a place that's so hard up, right? If you're willing to go and you're willing to interview and put in your application to a lot of places. But I think a lot of us don't get the job we want because we don't ask, as the Bible says. We receive not because we ask not, as James says. Now, how did I pick my job? I'll give you some things. I'm a physician. Now, I had a big heart for overseas missions. I love other cultures. I love other people groups. I love learning new languages. I love trying new foods, things like that. But you see, when you know what your calling is, this is kind of answering your question, you may feel a draw to serve the third world, right, and other countries, but you've got to know what's out there first, right? If you know what your calling is, but you're hesitating, just dive into something small. Do like a small mission trip, right? A weekend or a week, you know? So that's what I began to do. When I became an Adventist, I was a junior in college, and I began to explore these kind of short-term missions, see what things were like in the third world. And all I saw was just physical after physical after physical problem. Can you believe that? People were dying for want of simple, as you said, medical missionary understanding of things. And you didn't even have to be a doctor to relieve the majority of these things, but it sure would help. And so I began to think, wow, maybe I could choose to be a physician, and particularly in the third world, there's so many needs, you're only going to take care of who? Most the most critical, right? So that would steer me toward emergency medicine, something more critical, right? Another thing I liked about emergency medicine it was flexible. I could work lots of shifts or fewer shifts. Right now I work eight to ten, eight-hour days a month. That's it. I dedicate a solid week for medical missionary work or a week of prayer, or something like this. But if I worked five days a week, four weeks a month, there's no way I'm going to do a mission trip every month. It's just not possible. It's not temperate, right? That's another reason why I like emergency medicine. Now, I'm the type of person 
who, when I was eating my food, and there was a little bit left, mom would never have to say, now you better eat that or I'm saying to the starving children in China. <laughs> I'm half Chinese. I would eat it myself. I never like to waste anything. I always like to use everything that I learned in school. And I felt like if I went into a specialty, I wouldn't get to use everything. That's my personality. I want to give 110% and hold on to 110% of what I have. I'm not giving up one inch or one pound. Absolutely. I want to hold on to it. So emergency medicine is perfect, right? Because it crosses all specialties. I get to do lots of procedures, but I get to do orthopedics, geriatrics, cardiology, pediatrics, gynecology, everything, right? I also have ADD, so it kind of helps me. <laughs> I can kind of switch back and forth from stuff. So you got to tailor things, right? To your personality, to your needs. Now look, also, I looked at the future. I looked at the future of radiology. Do you know who reads a lot of the x-rays now? Think about it. With our technology, how can we, how could we make radiology cheaper, could you think? Aha. Uh -huh. No one wants to work at night, right? Hey, you can send it to Australia, and they're in the daytime. And they'll do it cheaper, right? So now a lot of our radiology is going via the internet, right, to these Telerad places. Now what do you think that does to the market? Mm, can be a problem, right? I mean, not yet. I mean, it's still doing quite well. They do better than I do. And I'm sorry, anesthesia. Okay. As they want to do more and more surgeries but pay less and less for it, who are they going to hire more of instead of anesthesiologists? The nurse anesthetist. I know of some places where it's gotten so bad that the nurse anesthetist gets the contract and they hire the anesthesiologist. It's wrong. <laughs> but that's what happens, right? That's what it's going to steer towards, right? Why, why pay the anesthesiologist 300 bucks an hour when you can pay the nurse anesthetist 100 bucks an hour, right? Primary care physicians. Many nurse practitioners are people's primary care physicians now. It's cheaper. They can train quicker and they're willing to go to the rural areas. But in my specialty, I do critical things, right? And this is why less skilled people will never do critical things in this country. I'll give you a hint. Why is a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner never going to do critical things? Watch. Who makes the laws in our country? Congress. Yeah, that's right. And Congress is filled with people whose background is? Law. So lawyers make our laws. Do you think we're ever going to have tort reform in all our states? Do you think we're ever going to get rid of all these silly lawsuits? Why? They're not going to shoot their brothers in the foot. Because our country, it's, it's by, by and large, the laws are made by lawyers. Even with the new whole socialized medicine thing, not one thing in there talks about reforming the litigation system. At least not what I've read. And last but not least, I'm an adrenaline junkie. OK, I confess. People talk to me about, dude, try Halo 3. I'm like, your video games don't even match my job. I get more excitement in reality. The most exciting movie doesn't compare to cracking someone's chest open and shocking them. 
clamping their aorta, give them 60 units of blood, and have them walk out alive. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of thrive on the critical, but you know what? When you know that you're keeping that person's probation going, that's real. But what's more important to that? What we're doing right now. Because you can make your patients live to 120 years and they could die the second death. What have you done? You haven't done anything, right? But even in all your planning, looking to the future, etc., I'm going to show you that God actually still intervenes. I never could have planned that socialized medicine was going to come to our country. Now, I want you to understand this concept for me in the way I look at it. People may look at it many different ways. But when you look at socialized medicine, that means everyone is going to get what? The same. The same and insurance, right? Right now, how many uninsured people are there? 50 million. So when we give them insurance, who's going to be coming to the hospital? 50 million, right? Studies show that when people are insured, they utilize it. And who is going to have to take care of them? That would be us. That's right. But where would they go? Would they go to their regular doctors, you think? Why? Why do you think people in the United States don't want to schedule an appointment with their regular doctor? How long does it take for you to get into your regular doctor usually? Yes, exactly. Right? People in America want things now. Free. Now and free. That's right. See, people in Canada are used to waiting. Right? I'll give you an example. Let's say you chomp down into a delicious uh, bite of guacamole on a nice organic fat-free chip, right? <laughs> of course. And oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts on your right side. Oh. And we put an ultrasound on, out on there, and we look at your gallbladder, and inside your gallbladder is a stone, right? So every time you eat fat now, even good fats, it hurts. So what do you think you want to do? Take it out. Yeah, exactly. Now, if it's not inflamed or infected, you know how long you're going to wait in Canada? Two years. Yes, exactly. Do you think any American's going to wait for two years? They would not tolerate that. We are the now country. Instant gratification. There's no way they're going to wait to go to their regular doctor. So if they're not going to go to their regular doctor, who are they going to go see? Me. They're going to see me. So the demand is going to go through the roof for my specialty. Now, I don't know what my salary is going to be. I just know I'm going to be a busy bee if this thing passes. Because they're all going to come to me. And I mean, they already come right now. I'll ask someone, so what's wrong? Oh, I have a sore throat. When did it start? An hour ago. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you didn't try gargling with salt water or anything like that, you know? No, I just figured I'd come on in. <laughs> and if it's free, what's going to stop them from coming on in? Yeah. Nothing. Cause, yeah, exactly. Because right now, you and I don't go to the ER because usually we have what's called a copay, right? We've got to pay 100 bucks for the ER versus 25 for a regular doctor. But if it's all free, 
Why wait for eight weeks? You can just come on in, right? But you may sit down and wait for eight hours. Hopefully not, but I can foresee that happening. Now, do you remember the hardest obstacle I had to overcome in my journey to being a physician? It wasn't the MCAT. It wasn't pre-med. It wasn't even the fact that I had no money at all. That's a different story. But what was the greatest obstacle? Do you remember what I shared with you? One of my parents, not both, one of my parents told me that I was not smart enough to be a doctor. Friends, you don't tell your kids that. Just FYI. You know, in case you were wondering what you're supposed to say to your kids, you're supposed to tell them four, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things Amen. through Christ who strengthens you. Because when you tell a teenager they're dumb, you know what? They might believe it. When you tell them they can't, they might believe it. And I can tell you the only way I went forward is I read that statement in medical ministry that said it should be physicians deciding that about me. You have to know what God says. And then you got to pray. you got to counsel with the right people. Right? And who was that? According to the quote from me, it was with physicians. Competent Christian physicians should assess me. And I went to them, and all of them said, you've got to be a doctor. You do have what it takes, Tim, both spiritually and mentally. Then you repeat step two, pray some more. And then what do you do? You move forward, right? Your question. You try it out. I had a beautiful friend say, Tim, I know that your family's not supporting you, so I'm going to pay for you to take this test. Now remember, I haven't even done pre-med yet, so they paid for me to take the MCAT. Now wait a minute. Those of you who know, you're supposed to take the MCAT when? After you graduate from pre-med. So I haven't taken any of the classes, right? But I'm trying it out, right? As we kind of recommended. You know, the best way to gain efficiency is to actually do it practically. Just try it out. So I decided to do something crazy and try it out. And you know, God's providence works. When I took that test, I got the average score of the accepted students to Loma Linda. It was like a 29 or something like that. I can't remember. And that was without the prerequisites. God was trying to tell me something. And then I really prayed. And when I say pray, I went off to a friend's house who I knew lived out in the country. In the back of the yard, they had this huge mountain range. And I would go hike in the hills for 12 miles sometimes. But most of the time, I'd just kneel down in a lonely place and I'd pray and I'd say, God, I don't have any money. I don't have support. But I feel that you're calling me to serve you and to serve humanity as a physician. So you really, really pray. And I did. And at the end of that one week, God spoke to my mind. This is the first time God has ever really spoken to me. There's two other times, but you have to go on Audioverse to find those. And I was impressed beyond a shadow of a doubt I should do it. But you know, I had no money for even pre-med. No family support, but God intervenes, doesn't he? I ended up going to Andrews, and they gave me a full tuition scholarship. But I was taking all pre-med in nine months. 
So I had an overload, so I had to cover that extra unit. I ended up tutoring for G-Chem, O-Chem, Physics, and Bio. And when you teach it, what happens? You learn it. I got a 4-0 that year at the top of all my classes by God's grace. But still, I have to live now, right? I couldn't afford the dorm. So I was sitting outside of the bookstore. I didn't even have money for my books. I met a friend who I had met long ago. And I had been instrumental in their being cured from cancer. I didn't do anything. I just told them, you need to be anointed. And they said, hey, can you do that for me? But I had just become a Christian. I said, I don't even know who an elder is. And I just started asking people, are you an elder? Are you an elder? Can you help this lady? But they ended up saying, she and her husband said, stay in our basement for free. So I stayed in their basement. But no money for utilities. So at Andrews, in a big basement, in the winter, how warm is it? I'm studying with hat and gloves on. My monthly food bill, $50 a month. I learned to buy those 10-pound bags of potatoes for 99 cents when they went on sale. I praise the Lord for the pastor's wives at Andrews because they would go collect all the almost expired food and they would like give it away for like a quarter at the food bank on campus. That is what I did for a year. And as I was in this huge cold basement, no family support, new place, no friends, I could say, look, I'm in this frozen basement. I could complain. But you know what? Make the most of it. I had a big basement. So what did I do? I had people over. Every week, I had a vegan potluck. I had 70, 80 students every Sabbath. It was great. And then I got to keep the food at the end. Yes. And I got to witness, right, and share the health message. But I can tell you, as positive as a person I am, it started to wear me down. You know, I had such a load of classwork. I had four hours of class in the morning and four hours of lab in the afternoon. And at that point in the winter in Andrews, when I left in the morning for school, it was dark. When I came back after lab, it was dark. And I was walking uphill in the snow both ways. No, 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 no. Not quite that bad. But does anyone know what SAD is? S-A-D? You know, I never saw the sun for three months. I never got calls from my family for a year. I take that back. Grandma and Grandpa called me once a week. Praise the Lord for them. But not a lot of support from everyone else. And I remember at some point, I was so overloaded. I was so cold all the time, so thin, that I started getting SAD, I felt. I'm a very positive person, but you can only hold out so long. And you come to a point where you don't have anything left. But you know it's at that point that God is going to intervene. And he did. One day I was walking to school, and I remember it. This is the second time God has talked to me. I was walking to Andrews in the cold. The trees were barren. And I came to one tree, and I noticed that on that barren tree there were little buds 
starting to come out. And at that point, God spoke to my soul, Tim, spring comes again. And spring did come to my life. My situation didn't change, but I knew God was with me. I knew he was providing for me financially. He was supporting me emotionally. He was giving me strength academically and that he hadn't left me, though others had in my life. And when you know the God who gives you the strength to get wealth, the power to do a job, he will see you through to its completion. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the great honor and privilege that I have to be a physician. But I know that I am only that because of you, because of your mercy and your grace and your reminder to my heart that even though there are difficulties in our lives, even though winter may wrap itself around our souls, that spring comes again in Jesus Christ that even the worst difficulty is followed by your miracle. And though, Lord, we may even have to face death along the road of your will, that we will live again. In Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.